0: Awesome, thanks, Mark. Oh man, you can tell that whoever has been preaching recently is heaps taller than I am. So I'm going to move this bad boy down about four foot down to me. That'll be nice. Well, it really matters who you listen to. All right, it really matters who you listen to. If you don't believe me, check out this video. (laughs) <laughs> there you go. Kid gets up and does his nice little talk on Nazi goring and the, the rabbits in China, right? Like I said, it's really matter. it really matters who you listen to, right? And while that's a bit of a funny example, I guess it can be pretty bad when we listen to the wrong person about something, right? Um, we've got examples of of um, medical stuff from throughout history where people thought they were getting really good advice listening to someone actually turned out to be really bad advice so check this one out this was about smoking right so smoking meant to be really good for you here's some old school news so more doctors smoke this one that's pretty good good for you the dentist is recommending it sounds pretty legit better give it a go then you got the fat guy on the side turning into a hurdler because he smoked what a good way to diet, all right, smoking, we don't want to, don't want to listen to those guys on the next one, the, the sugar diet, you know, sugar might just be the willpower you need to curb your appetite, I don't know if you can read that, right, but it says, if, if sugar is so f- fattening, how come so many kids are thin? Logic, eh, it's got you there, right, it's got you there you listen to the wrong person, you're going to get some really bad advice, right? But it can take a really bad turn, can't it? Imagine the person who, who now goes to someone a bit dodgy, gets some bad medical advice and dies because they don't get the treatment that they need. It matters who we listen to. And our society, right, it tells us a lot of things, there's a lot of things that we can listen to. It tells us what's important, it tells us what's good for us, it tells us what's freeing, it tells us what's good, it tells us what's right. And one thing our society loves to tell us about is sex, right? It tells us heaps about it. You know, you'll be most free and, and you'll have the best time if you explore and you enjoy whatever sexuality you feel is good, whatever you feel is right, and with whoever you want or or, or whatever, right? Do it whenever you want. It's up to you. Do what you want. But you'll see in the Bible that God has a completely different view on sex. Completely different view to our world. And so who are you going to listen to when it comes to sex? I reckon it can get really confusing. So many different things. It can get really confusing and it really matters who we listen to. I want to pose to you tonight from 1 Corinthians that God is the one you should listen to about it. And in fact, he's the one you need to listen to because he's the one who made it. He's the one who made sex and he's made it for a reason. And Which means when someone makes something like, right, there's, there's a good way to use it, the proper way to use it. And then there's other ways and they're not as good. And God, if he's the one who made it, he's going to know which one is which. Which is the good way, which is not. And more than that, God is a caring God. He actually cares about you and He cares about what you do and He's got your best interest in mind. And so what He says about sex is going to be the best thing for you. So you'd want to listen. And so as we look at this passage tonight, it's a bit of a hectic passage, right? But I want you to just know it's it's not my my view on the topic. Or it's not necessarily just my opinion to you. I'm not just telling you what I reckon. This is what God's saying to you. It's what God's saying. And so if you're a Christian here tonight, tonight's going to help you have confidence in knowing God's plan for sex. And, and, and more than that, though, it's going to allow you to trust Him and His goodness. Because it's showing you that He cares. He loves you and He cares what's best for you. It will help you to obey Him more. And if, if you're with us tonight and you're kind of new to this stuff, you're not a Christian, that's cool. We love that you're here. Really love that you're here. Keep hanging out with us. We are not here to judge you or anything like that tonight might be something different than you've heard before, and that's cool. I'm hoping that it's going to show you that God is a good God. He's a good God, and He really cares. He's not absent. He's not just letting us do it. He actually cares what we do, and He cares about you. He's not a buzzkill out to ruin people's lives. He genuinely cares and loves people. I'm hoping you can see that tonight. So why don't we pray and ask God that as we read this, He just He'd help us to understand what He's saying, yeah? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a good God. We want to thank you that you've made all things. We want to thank you that you have our best interest at heart. We pray that as we read a part of your word that that could be quite tricky for a bunch of us, we do pray that you'd help us to understand it uh, and be humble enough to listen to you as you would tell us. Amen? Amen. All right, well, with that in mind, here's the first and the main big thing we're going to see tonight. It's this. Sex is bigger than you think. It's bigger than you think. We're going to see as we go through this two different problems that the Corinthians have. We've seen a bunch of them, right, so far this term. But we're going to see two specific ones in this one. There's a real specific problem that they've got. And then there's kind of a a broader identity problem they've got. So kick off in verse 12 with me if you've got your Bibles with you. Here we go. "'I have the right to do anything,' you say, "but, but not everything is beneficial.' I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. Now, that, that stuff there is some of the broad identity stuff. We're actually going to come back to that in a second, but here's the thing for right now, a bit of a specific problem. Next verse. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. There we go, right? So, so the problem that Paul's picking up with them is sexual immorality. It's a bit of a weird term, a bit of a weird phrase. Here's what it means, right? We're going to be using it a bunch tonight. Here's what it means it's any form of sexual activity that is different to God's design for it. I'll say that again. Sexual immorality is any form of sexual activity that is different to God's good design for it. And so, for the Corinthians, it could show itself in a bunch of ways, right? The Corinthians' problem, particularly, is that they're going around and sleeping with prostitutes. You can see that in verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. All right? That's their particular thing that Paul's honing in on there. And so now that we've defined sexual immorality and we've kind of looked a little bit at it, I think it raises a big question. If sexual immorality is any form of sexual activity that is different to God's design for it, then the question has to be, what's God's design for it? That's the thing we've got to work out, right? What's the way that God says is the best use of sex? What does God say? Paul gives us that. He gives us the clue for that in the very next verse, verse 16. Look down. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. There, Paul's telling us, sex is bigger than you think. It's bigger than you think. It's actually uniting or joining two people together in a really special way. And the argument that he uses there, you might have picked it up, is he, he goes all the way back to Genesis, right, the first book of the Bible, and he picks a bit of that and tells them. And just to help you kind of work out how we know that, right, you'll notice there's some little quotation marks around that little bit in verse 16, and then there'll be a little letter. Mine has a little letter, F, right? And if you track that down to the bottom of your page, the Bible's telling you, or the, per- the person who's done this for us, is telling us that's where he got it from. Just little Bible tips so you can help flick around there, right? Now, we don't have time to go through all of Genesis, but I'll give you kind of the gist of why he's saying that, right? After God, in his goodness, has made everything, in his power, he makes the world, he makes all things, he makes Adam, the first man. And after that, he makes Eve, the first woman. And then he joins them together in marriage, the first marriage, first husband and wife together, Adam and Eve. And marriage is joining two people together to become one. You notice there, it says one flesh. It's a big deal. It's a big commitment. It's a big thing to do. And the act that shows that, and more, the act that achieves that, is sex. All right, Sex is the act of two people uniting, joining as one, joining together. And so sex serves a, as a purpose. It serves as a thing to, t- to unite people together. And also, you, you see in Genesis, it's the way in which God chooses to... Um, to uh, be fruitful and multiply, he tells them to do that. So, sex is the only act that create can create kids. I'm sure, that's not the first time you've heard that, right? You got that. So, sex unites people together in a real special way, and it's the only act that can create people. It's a really special thing. It's a big deal. It's like the the superglue that binds people together, lasting in marriage. That's what it's doing, and it's a good thing, right? Sometimes we can hear so, hear so much about it that we just get freaked out, I'm like, ah, it's bad or whatever. It's a good thing. God made it good. He didn't, it's not a mistake. He didn't make Adam like he did and make Eve like he did, and he went, all right, and they're, they're just doing their thing. And he's like, what are you doing? Ah, I didn't, I didn't think about that. I didn't realize you were going to do that. That's messed up. No, he made it. He made it purposefully, and he made it for those purposes, to unite and to create. It's not a mistake. It's good. And his design is best. Things that God makes, he makes good, right? Now, I don't know about you. I um, I love Kmart. I'm a sucker for Kmart. Give me a, a show of hands. Who loves Kmart homewares, like Ikea homewares, any like Scandinavian hipster homeware places, right? I love them, all right? But the cheaper that those things are, the harder they are to put together. I tell you, I think it's my... The, one of the worst things I do in my life is put these things together. But as you put them together, you'll see there's a big difference between guys and girls. Because girls, you're actually pretty good at it, right? Because you get out the instruction booklet and you're like, well, let's just start at page one, I guess. Okay, well, there's lots of um, screws, so I better get all them out and put them in a line. Put them in, oh, yeah, that's nice. What's oh? Need a screwdriver? Just go get it through and you bring it. And you just, you're meticulous and you go through it and it's good and you build it step by step. It might take you six months, but it gets done and it's good. Guys, the boys, we don't need that. I've got this. And you get it out. And my wife is like, Do you want the book? I'm like, Don't need the booklet, Lauren. And I'm like, Well, I can work this out and this probably goes here probably goes here and then it's done and it's wobbly I'm like well it's probably meant to be wobbly because I did it good and then I set it up and there's still a table in my house that is wobbly to this day and that's because I didn't follow the instructions right? Girls are much better at following instructions one of my tables is still wobbly and it's no surprise because I didn't look at the instructions I didn't follow them because I'm too good for that apparently right? But God's instructions are best He shows us what sex is for. He shows us why it was made, the best way for it. And so it's no surprise that when it gets used wrong, when we use it wrong, when we misuse it, things get messed up. Things get wobbly. And so when that happens, it leaves people feeling broken and empty. Because when you superglue two things together and then rip them apart, it's going to hurt, isn't it? It's going to leave a mark. So when there's sexual immorality in a way where people are having sex with people with no intention of permanently joining with them in marriage, we're uniting with people and tearing apart over and over. So it's no surprise that people are going to end up hurt with that, Right? And this is what the Corinthians are doing. They're misusing sex. They're treating it as if it's nothing special. It's just another thing. You can get that in verse 13. It's one of the weirder verses in the in the chunk, but check that out. You say, food for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. Get what they're saying there? They're saying sex is just like eating. It's just, it's just another part of life. It doesn't really mean anything. You know, I, I wake up and I want meat I eat yum, I wake up, I want sex, I go, it's good, I just go do it, I have it with whoever I like, it's fine, it's a, it's a normal part of everyday life, there's nothing special about it. That's wrong though. There is something special about it. Because it's joining, uniting yourself to someone. It's a big thing, it's a big deal. And particularly for Christians. you out verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ Himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that He who unites Himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? You see, as Christians, we're actually united to Jesus. We looked at this a little bit on Fad in Colossians, right? We get united to Jesus, we get joined to Jesus spiritually. We're the body of Christ. And so Paul's using this to say, are you going to take a a part of Jesus, you, and join that to someone? Take it away and join it? No way. You'd never do that. You'd never think of doing that. But that's what's happening. It's not just another bodily thing. You're joining yourself to someone. And the point of that is to say that sex is bigger than you think. It's a bigger deal than you think. And that whole idea is something that our society has gotten completely wrong. Completely wrong. And it's messing up. It's messing you up, whether you think it or not. It's messing up our generation, right? Because society is going to tell you that you can have sex with whoever you want, whenever you want. That it's, it's liberating, It's freeing for for you, for your sexuality, to have sex with anyone and everyone, regardless of gender, regardless of this whatever. It's just another thing. Do what makes you feel good, you know. Have whatever type of sex that's fine. You don't need to be married. Just go do it. Just um, have it when you're dating. That's fine. Have it when you're not dating. Just when you have a night out, go have it with someone. It's fine. It's just another thing. But that's a lie, and it's going to hurt. It will wreck you because sex is special and it's anything but casual. Because when you have sex with someone, like we've said, or any form of sexual activity, you're joining yourself with someone in a way that's different to anything else. is isn't something just to do with anyone. It's the most special thing to do with someone in marriage, to join you in a lasting way. And, and as a quick aside here, I just want to, if you're someone here and you've been a, a victim of any type of sexual abuse or assault, I'm so sorry that that's happened to you. It's not okay that that's happened to you. It's a horrific thing. God hates that that's happened to you. It's a terrible thing and, and at no point should you feel like that's your fault. That's not your fault. God does not hold you accountable to that at all. That is something that has been done to you and it's not Okay. But our culture is dead wrong on sex because it promotes a casual view, like we've said, that's hideous in God's sight and is bad for us. God loves us and His rules are good. And there's something that's been a... that's promoted this view of casual sex more than anything else, I think. And that's porn. Porn is one of, of, if not the biggest reason... For our society's view on sex, because we're we're told that porn's just this normal thing that anyone should and can go watch, and it's just you—you're not hurting anyone, so just go and do that. How's this? Right in um, 2015, there was 4.3 billion hours of porn watched on just one of the thousands of websites. That's half a million years worth in one year. And I know that there's a chunk of you here tonight who are at a stage in your life when you're regularly watching it, or you have in the past. Porn is making you think that sex is casual when it's not. And eventually, it'll ruin sex for you, actually. It'll ruin love. It'll ruin relationships for you. And, and porn, it works like a drug, this is why it's, it's so intense, right? When you watch it, there's this chemical release in your brain, right? It's called dopamine. And it's the same thing released when you take a bunch of drugs. It's the high you feel, it's the good thing you feel, and it becomes addictive. Your, your brain goes, that was a pretty good feeling, I'd like that more. And so next time you want it, it goes, you know, where to go get it. And so you watch more, and it releases more. But eventually, your brain kind of gets used to that amount. And so it needs more. You need to watch even more or more intense forms of it to get the same high, and so you keep going back. You keep going back more and more and more. That's how addiction works. And eventually, whether you think this or not, you see people as objects. You see other people as just objects who are there to satisfy whatever desire you have at a time. It's destructive. It's not good for us. In a study done not long ago on on people who view porn, it was found that they had less love for their partners And they stayed stayed around in relationships for a far shorter time than other people. Promoting that casual view, it's telling you that sex is just another function made to make you feel good, and that's not that's not true. That's a lie. Because sex is joining you and uniting you with someone in a way that nothing else can. When we go against God's good design, it's bound to fail. We shouldn't need that evidence, we should be able to trust God, but that is evidence of it. We can see it in our experience. So Paul's critiqued the Corinthians here, not so much on that stuff, that's for us, but he's he's critiqued them on their casual viewing of sex in, in life, right? So after telling them that, after critiquing them, what does he say next? He tells them, You need to bail. You need to bail. He's just warned them about their sexual immorality and why it's such a big deal. He slams them on their casual sex thinking. Check out what he says in verse 18. What does he say to them straight after that? Flee from sexual immorality. Run. Flee. Bail. Leg it. Get out of there, right? Paul doesn't say, you know, make sure you're kind of looking out for it. It might be there somewhere. Keep it up. Run. Get out. Don't be anywhere near it, not even close. I've got another video for us, right? Check check this out. It's crazy. Imagine being that guy, right? He's just like walking, texting his mom, like, I'm coming over dinner, mom. It's going to be, he's probably a Canadian. Don't know what you're talking about. Like, I don't know what he's messaging, right? And he looks up and there's a bear. You don't expect that to happen, right? So here's some some multiple choice for you. What do you think he's thinking at this point? Is it A? That's a nice bear. (laughs) I like that. Is it B? Oh my gosh, you so fluffy, I'm going to die. Is it C? Maybe I should just get a little bit closer to the bear. Maybe if I get closer, I'll see it's even cooler. But I won't get too close, but I want to get a little bit closer. I want to see how close I can get. Or is it D? That's a freaking bear. Run. You can see what he did, right? As soon as he looks up, he bails. He's gone the other way. It's a bear. <laughs> When you see something serious and dangerous, you don't mess around with it. You don't get close. You don't kind of get closer to the line. You bail. You run. And Paul's telling them to do that. He's giving them this this desperate plea. Run. Bail. Get away from it. Get as as far away, as fast as you can from sexual immorality. That's how serious it is. It's how destructive it is. It's how scary it is will destroy you. God hates it. Run. Don't even get close. But do you notice something in here? If Paul's that serious about it, what strategies does he give them to do it? None. He's serious about it. He doesn't tell them, here's some ideas of how you could do that. Instead, Paul does something much bigger, much bigger. He reminds the Corinthians of who they really are, who they really are. And if if they can remember that, if they can know and remember who they are, if we can remember, if you can remember who you really are, that'll be all the motivation you need to run away from this, to run, to flee, to bail from sexual immorality, Here's, there's a couple of them in there. Here's the biggest one, I reckon. End of verse 19. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. As Christians, there's a profound change in who you are a massive change. You're not your own anymore, you, you don't belong to yourself. You're not yours. Why? You were bought at a price. Verse 20. What's that price? It's the death of Jesus. See, Jesus saw your sin. He saw that you were far from him. That your rejection of God had earned you judgment. Anger from God. But instead of leaving us in that spot where we deserve to be, right, we chose that. Instead, he came and he did something about it. At the cost of himself, Jesus, eternal God, stepped down from heaven to be a person, to be a human, and who willingly and purposefully lived his whole life with one goal in mind. Do you know what that goal was? To die. That's not much of a goal, is it? But his whole life was built around dying for you. He was betrayed, tortured, murdered, punished by God so that the cost of our sin could be paid for. The only way it could. He did that, and by doing that, he bought you with his blood. Now, to some of you, I reckon that might seem like a bad thing. I don't really want to be bought by anyone. I don't really want to be owned by anyone. That doesn't sound like a good thing at all. You've missed it. You've missed the point. Because being bought by Jesus means you become one of his people. And when you become one of his people, all your sin is wiped away. It's gone. Forgiven by Jesus so that you're perfect in his sight perfect in his sight it's not constrictive it's freeing which means all the guilt that you feel for the times when you've when you've done wrong all the shame that's associated with it all the shame that you feel when you stuff up in areas like this and others all of that's gone too because you're not guilty anymore you're innocent Jesus has forgiven you. You're forgiven, you're accepted, you're loved by the God of the universe. And it means we get to live for Jesus because whether we like it or not, we're owned by someone. Romans 6 will tell us. We're either owned and slaves to sin or we're owned by Jesus. Judgment or forgiveness. And if we're owned by Jesus, we have a life that's purposeful, And worthwhile, but we're forgiven in God's eyes is the best part of it. No more guilt, no more shame, no more punishment. That's a good type of being owned. And that's the motivation Paul gives them. Be who you are, be a Jesus person. You were bought at a price. And so when you feel the need to look at porn, you say to yourself, I am not my own. I was bought at a price. When when you go to watch that show or that movie that you know has all kinds of stuff that's going to mess with your thinking of people, I am not my own. I was bought at a price. When you you know that you and your boyfriend or you and your girlfriend are on a track that's going to lead to you stuffing up in this area, going too far, I am not my own. I was bought at a price. When you're planning on going out and having sex with someone or some type of activity like I'm not my own. I was bought at a price. That's not always going to be easy. But it will always be worth it. Because you've been bought at a price. I trust that for most of you, tonight would have been something that made you think about areas of life where you're not going well in this. Where you can see that a step down the track, you will have stuffed up in it. Or where you've already failed in this. God can forgive you. Jesus can buy you. So use tonight and pray and ask for that to happen. It can happen tonight. It will always be best to listen to what God says. And always keep in your mind, I'm not my own. I was bought at a price. Let's pray. God, we want to thank you that you are good in everything you do. I want to thank you in your goodness that you made all things good. So often we we think we know better. We follow our world that thinks it knows better. We see the results of that. And God, we're sorry. We thank you that you would send your son, Jesus, to offer us forgiveness, to offer to buy us. We pray that people would do that tonight. We pray that when we... We feel the temptation to go against your way. Would you remind us that we are not our own. We are bought at a price. We pray that would be the thing that would change us. Amen.